Welcome back to another episode of the No Vertical Podcast with your hosts, Alex and Billy. Today in the podcast, we get into the local teams that you're used to hearing about, as well as breaking down some of the teams that are currently sitting on the bubble. Um, so just picking it up and getting started. Alex, what did you, what's your take on uh, Syracuse, at how they've been performing lately? Uh, not great. There's going to be a thread uh, through this podcast, I think. Yeah, hasn't been the best performance of of their careers. Uh, a couple losses in a row didn't really help anything, but I think they're safe. I don't think they'll be as firmly on the bubble as they had been in the past, but I do believe that they will get into the tournament. Lenardi doesn't seem to think that they're on the bubble right now, so that's helpful. Yeah, I I, I think Syracuse said, is definitely well, in. He calls them a should-be-in. Right, he calls them a should-be-in. But, you know, Syracuse, they are always at risk for being on the bubble. So we'll kind of see how it unfolds. But the loss of Clemson definitely didn't help. Um, losing to a team with a worse record than they had and pretty low in the ACC standing. So, you know, it wasn't wasn't the best showing for Syracuse. Obviously, I didn't get to see it. Uh because I couldn't find a telecast anywhere, but from just keeping up with it, wasn't really very pretty. Yeah, I mean, the, the, dropping games down the stretch when, you know, you can easily solidify yourself, definitely not uh, ideal for anyone. And and you you know is how bad I've been struggling with St. John's as of late. So, right, you know, it's uh, it's tough, tough to uh, tough to watch as a fan when, when that stuff happens. Right. Yeah, I mean, they have two quality wins. They have a couple wins against um, high-ranking teams. You know, they beat Duke, obviously. They beat Louisville. They had that win at Ohio State. So, all of those are very helpful. But, you know, their their losses are speak for themselves. You know, the NC State loss after they lost, after they scored that 24-piece, um, Clemson, and then the early conference or the early season losses, which we've touched on a million See, times. See, the lucky thing though with Syracuse is the strength of the ACC once again this year. You know, um, if, right. if they were in another conference, it'd be a completely different story with being a sub twenty one team. But the fact that you know the Orange, they're ten and eight in a very strong ACC. You know, and they have a good win over Georgetown now that just keeps building out of conference. Same with their Ohio yeah. State. I mean. Ohio State's currently a, a kind of a bubble team in their own right, but you know th- those wins are doing work for them. Um, sure. Couple bad losses on the year, but at the end of the day, I think you know being able to have so many opportunities at quad one wins has has helped them out. And you know we'll see who they end up getting uh, paired up with come ACC tournament time. I think it, realistically, if they get a win, I think they they're solidified lock once they reach the turn. Yeah, I, I would I would imagine so. You know, if they, even if they get, even if they like, if especially if they go like two games deep oh, in the 100%, ACC tournament, 100%, that would definitely, yeah, that'd be very yeah. very helpful. I don't, I don't so, see it'll like be, said, you know, in previous years where where they've been a real outside bubble team. I I don't I right. don't see that being the case this year. They're in. in yeah, I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll be they'll be biting their nails quite as much as they have been in the last couple of years. All right, and shifting over to 
a team that's trying to do basically everything they can to stay out of the tournament at this point in St. John's. <laughs> they're, they're four or five. Uh, they dropped four or five since beating Villanova. So I don't, you know, I don't really understand mm-hmm. what's happening there. Um, they started 12 and 0 on the season. As of late, they've gone uh, eight and 11 in Big East play. Uh, losses to DePaul right. twice, Xavier twice, Providence twice. You know, most of those are, are quad two losses, which does not bode well. Um, you know, the inconsistency that they've played with as a team. You know, um, so Maury Pond said, I forgot how many games ago. But it was after a bad loss earlier in the year. It might have been after, I don't remember if it was after the DePaul, the first DePaul loss or not, but he stated that the team wasn't playing as a cohesive unit. You know, everyone's on different pages. You know, there's, there's just a lack of chemistry kind of going on in the locker room. And that showed down the stretch. Right. I mean, they're 3-1 and one against the top two teams in, in the conference, Villanova and Marquette, but they can't seem to put it together against the guys that they should be beating at the bottom of the conference, which is now where they're residing. And as a seven seed, right, going into the uh, Big East tournament. So, really, I mean, to me, you have all this talent, lack of cohesiveness. This at this point in the season, it just displays, you know, the the poor coaching staff, the the lack of control in that locker room, um, and it, it looks like you know they kind of have to win to lock themselves in. Otherwise, they're going to be preying on come selection Sunday. Um. If they don't beat DePaul, which they've already dropped two games to this so far this season, right? But that being said, it's harder to beat a team three team three times. I mean, the odds are in St. John's favor, I guess, if you put it that way. But you know, I I do not like how they match up against DePaul. They they have no business being even having a game starting on Wednesday in the Big East tournament. They should they should have been starting on Thursday. They should have gotten that first bye. Um, but going from three seed to a seven in, in one game, you know, just speaks wonders to how, you know, oddly distributed this conference is this year. Um, you have pretty much the two locks that are guaranteed in Marquette and Villanova in getting into the tournament. And then everything else is kind of just up in the air on the bubble. When you look at right. Xavier, Georgetown, uh, Seton Hall, St. John's, you know, that whole crew Creighton you don't know what's going to happen with them. They could all get in, you know, yeah. the, the committee could pick and choose. Anything could happen in this big East tournament. And, but St. John's having to play that extra game potentially, I think could do them in. Um, and, you know, if they don't, they leave, you, you think it leaves them more vulnerable. Oh, hundred percent leaves them more vulnerable because sure. if they lose again to DePaul, sure. that's three bad losses to, to a DePaul team that, I mean, they've right. been better than previous years this season. But they still have no business beating a team with the talent of St. John's. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously going forward, you know my stance is what it, what it is on Mullen and, and company. <laughs> I don't think I think you know just the way they've come down the stretch, losing four of the last five. This just mm-hmm. solidified the fact that that you know the coaching staff is up for a big change, and I think Mike Craig is going to uh, be a a, a large. Uh, proponent on switching things up and and kind of letting the staff kind of just step down, and hopefully we f- we see a former Blue Devil maybe potentially taking over the staff. I've heard rumblings he's trying to uh, potentially bring bring someone over that he's previously worked with when he was over at Duke. So we'll see. Who's this? Uh, I, 
no no one mentioned specifically, but I've heard he's been no uh, laying the groundwork in terms of uh, possible replacements coming from gotcha. Duke. So we'll see. Okay. If that's true, if that's just a rumbling. What I have heard, though, is that Shamori Pons is pretty much done with school. Um, gotcha. And he is he is pretty much committing to the draft, even though this year it did it. It's not going to bode well for him in terms of improving his draft stock over the previous year. So True. he's going to be gone for sure. And you know, it, it, this is a. I'm kind of getting into another ep- uh, episode that we'll probably end up doing down the road here. But um, like I said, you know, this this matchup for St. John's coming up against DePaul, I, I don't see it really having anything good for St. John's. It's probably <laughs> going to be a dogfight, and hopefully St. John's comes out on top. But I'm a little skeptical. Yeah, I mean, they haven't been playing well, that's for sure. They have not played as well as their talent should allow them. And I think that it's going to hurt them in the long run, their performance over the entire course of the year. I think that a lot of them are just over it, you know. And it's hard hard as a college kid to not get over it sometimes. So I do think that'll – play a role for sure yeah well moving on to the bright spot in new york the buffalo bulls winning yeah, that regular season that title um you know maybe the poll that we launched earlier in the year there was something to it um in you know buffalo being new york's team this year you know yeah i think i mean i don't know how you feel but i could potentially see buffalo being a final four team if the if the tournament shakes out the way um, you know, in, in matchups that go in Buffalo's favor, they're a very athletic team. They can match up against anyone, beat you from kind of all over. You know, like just looking at this last game, I watched the uh, game against Bowling Green. Um, they shot 19% from three and still were able to win that one by 11 points. Yeah. I mean, th- this team, they'll kill you in any way. You know, they're, they're very versatile. They'll, uh, you know, the, the Mac has been great this year. So it's not even like you can say, oh, they're coming out of a weak Mac. No, the Mac was right on par with the Pac-12 this year, which is shocking, and we'll get into yeah. that a little bit later. But, yeah, I mean, my quest for the two-bid Mac continues, Alex. <laughs> I still don't see it. I still don't see anybody beating Buffalo in the tournament. Uh, but that being said, you know, I could see Buffalo being a – Final Four team, if the cards shake in their favor, um, obviously it's a different it's a different animal once you get into the actual meat of the tournament and you run into multiple games and multiple like back to back days and stuff like that. So, and teams that you have never ever seen before, you have no idea how they play. It's just a very different beast, which. Clearly, they ran into last year, you know, after they had that big win against Arizona, then they struggled a little bit more throughout the tournament. So I don't know how they'll handle it because none of them have ever been there before, down multiple games into the tournament. But I do think that they have a good chance, if they perform like they have all year, to make it a deep run into the tournament and be a potential um final 14 for sure so the thing that i think and this this is kind of true across college basketball in general um 
what what kind of plays into Buffalo's favor is the one and done culture that's currently going True. on in in a lot of the the big time programs. Um, Buffalo not affected by that. If anything, it plays right into their hand with five seniors on this team. They have the experience. They've been to the tournament multiple times as a squad. Mm-hmm. You know they they know what it's like to be in a high pressure situation, and you know you're going up against kids that this is their first time ever getting to a college postseason. You know, I'm not saying True. that I'm not saying that because Duke has three of the top, you know, five draft picks coming out that that because they're all young that they're more susceptible than anyone else. No, I mean anyone's susceptible on any given night. But yeah. the big thing that that UB has when you compare them to a Duke, to a to a Kentucky, to, you know, um uh, another one and done culture type program is that they have the experience. They they've played together for a lot longer than a lot of the other guys have. Um, and that's allowed them to develop a lot of chemistry and survive adversity. You know, like I said before, UB shot 19% from three against Bowling Green. And the three ball, right. as we know, has been a staple in UB's game. And they've adapted. They've changed things up. Jeremy Harris has clearly been off this year from three, but he's adapted. Right. You know, he chipped in, I think, 14 points in that Bowling Green game. So they're finding ways to score, finding ways to get to the line and and create when, you know, their shots aren't always falling, which is, you know, a testament to the team and to, to Nate Oates and the culture that he breeds there. And I think, you know, you're going to find games where they're going to match up against probably a, a blue chip school that mm-hmm. they, they might be even, even the favorite in be, just because of, of the way that they've been playing and and that consistency that they've shown throughout the season. Right. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think uh, they've imp- they've improved on what they showed last year. They were in the top 25 all season. They maintained a high level of play throughout the season. Yeah, they let down here and there, but that's just the nature of college basketball. But they only lost three games all year. And, that's pretty damn impressive. And how about uh, C.J. Massenburg playing himself right into the NBA draft right now? I know what. What's up with that? Hey man, I'm I'm all for it. I saw one projection where he's a second rounder going to the Knicks with Zion going in the first. That would be my oh, dream. There you dude. go. There you go. There's, <laughs> a, there's a solid play play for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I I would love it. But uh, back to my two bid Mac theory. So here, listen to me on this one. Alex. All right. So. Obviously, you know, I've been a big, big proponent of the Mac all season. I think it's the mm-hmm. conference as a whole has been incredible. You know, they've stepped up their game immensely. They're getting some exposure on the national spotlight with the help of Buffalo leading the way. And here are my ways that we get a two-bid Mac. Obviously, a team beats Buffalo somehow, which I'm not encouraging. You know, I want to see this, this senior-laden squad come out with a Mac title and go on to succeed in the tournament. But obviously, you have that route. Other than that, though, you could have, uh, obviously, Kent State, if they beat Buffalo in the semifinals, they go on to win the MAC. they're in. Mm-hmm. You have Toledo, who could potentially run through Bowling Green in the semifinal, take them out, lose to Buffalo in the MAC title game. If, as long as it's, you know, a close game, I think that's going to speak, you know, wonders to the committee. It's gonna Okay. It's, so you're so you're thinking that it doesn't have to be an at large bid. You're thinking that they can I'm thinking squeak in. I'm thinking they can squeak in, you know. Like Okay. Um and then Bowling Green as well. Bowling Green's been a great team all year. Um, you know, they've they've had some quality wins. 
And if they, you know, go through Toledo, who, who's, you know, also decent in the net, you have potential to, if you lose a close game to Buffalo, you know, that's not, that's not a bad resume right there. So I think those three teams, if there's going to be anyone, it's going to come from those three guys. Um, obviously, the most likely would be if Kent State is able to beat Buffalo and then go on to win the MAC. But, you know, you never know. It's a soft bubble. And if you have a couple sure. guys in the way, which we'll get into in a little bit, maybe dropping a few games or, or, you know, losing first round of their respective conference games, you know, it could happen. That's fair. I mean, it's anything's possible this, at this point prior to tournament, uh, conf- or conference tournaments. So literally the world is, of college basketball is wide open right now. Anything can happen on any given day. And we've seen in the past that crazy stuff happens during these conference tournaments. Teams go on runs that are completely unbelievable, completely against anything they showed all year. So if one team can kind of bring it around and make a run throughout the tur- throughout the MAC tournament, I'll go with you there, but I just don't see it happening. I mean, when you, when you have uh... – just looking at the Mac rank, uh, the net rankings right now. Toledo is currently sitting at sixty, which mm-hmm. you know is not is not bad considering some of the other teams that are in contention, right? Um, around that region. So, I mean, Seton Hall's listed at sixty-one. So that's just for a reference point, and they're they're considered you know a team that has a little bit more work to do, but could get in, you know, depending on how the bubble shakes out. St. John's sure. is still projected as in with a net of sixty-six right now. So, you know. It it's possible. Don't don't count them Absolutely. out. Two bid Mac, baby. I'm I'm calling for it. Um, all right. What what seeding do you think a team like that would get? I mean, if you're if you're looking at say say Toledo for example, sitting at what did I say sixty, um, I could see maybe a thirteen somewhere okay. in there. You know, not maybe a fourteen, but not any nowhere higher than that. Yeah, sure. Um. But, yeah, I could see maybe somewhere in that ballpark. St. John's right now is listed as, like, around an 11. So mm-hmm. if they're pulling an 11 seed with the with what they've been doing lately, you sure. know, I could easily make the case for Toledo being a 13 or 14. Yeah, I'm looking at the bra- at Lenardi's bracketology right now. He has St. John's as a 10. Yeah, so, I mean, Toledo. Playing Wofford. Toledo is – oh, that's a matchup. I'd, oof, that'll be interesting. Wofford, <laughs> Wofford's a great mid-major team. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been ranked – I think at least one or two weeks this year. So I think two, yeah. Uh, but yeah, just looking at Toledo, twenty-five and six on the year. That's not a bad. That's not a bad resume. Not at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, going forward, man, two bid Mac. You're here. To, you heard it here first. <laughs> all right. And moving. Speaking of bubble. So I don't know about you, but I, I did some. I did some just digging to see like what the bubble's kind of shaping up this year. Mm-hmm. ESPN has 27 teams fighting for 12 spots. Oh, my God. And that's just speaking to – now, ordinarily, you'd say, wow, that's, that seems kind of ridiculous. And, and that is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But it's because the bubble is so soft. There's been so many teams with, you know, just convincing wins and then just absolute garbage losses sure. that, that it's kind of fed into this, you know, well, anyone's still alive type deal. So right. you have uh, Indiana, who I want to get into first. So Indiana's okay. barely scraping by. They have about a little over 500 record on the season. But because they have six quad one wins, they're still considered, you know, there. They're still in this conversation. 
when a team like Lipscomb, who you know I've been you know a proponent for, Bring I mentioned on. them yep. earlier in the season when we did that one episode. They're ranked forty mm-hmm. second in the net. What? Meanwhile, Indiana's roughly fifty five. You know, and and they're considered kind of over Lipscomb in in this bubble okay. watch. You know, I don't I don't really buy that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my kind of view on things. I think you know, Power Five schools are getting that that obvious bias, and we'll get into a little bit more with the Pac-12 um, going forward on that. But it's kind of ridiculous that these mid-major programs um, like Ellipscomb are fighting, you know, just to be a 16 seed or, or a 15 seed, you know, in, in right. the tournament um, over in Indiana, who realistically should have no business being regardless of those six wins. You know, you shouldn't be hovering around 500 and getting to the NCAA tournament unless you win your Absolutely. conference. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think that there's always going to be that name recognition that comes into play with all, with any and all tournament talk. But we'll see if it if the committee is able to get past that and trying to decrease some of that. <coughs> excuse me, some of that bias that you're talking about right there. And as we know, they're using the the net rankings to this year as opposed to like the previous years where they've used like the BPI, which mm-hmm. um, it's a bit of a different shakeup on the formula. Um, we're not entirely sure, you know, what goes into the, the net rankings, but you know, if they're going by net rankings and they include Indiana, if you know, and Lipscomb doesn't win their conference, I think that's a big mistake. And I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, it's hurting the game. Yeah, I would agree with you. There's, there needs to be more dichotomy allowed in the tournament itself, but we'll see if that ever happens, you know? Yeah. So shifting out west and looking at the Pac-12, like we mentioned earlier. So Washington is, is the only team that really, I think, deserves it. And I don't know how you feel about that, but they're... I'm okay with it, you know? I have a lot of respect for Mike Hopkins and everything that he brings to, as a coach. So I'm completely I'm completely in agreement. I think that the things he's been able to do for a Washington team that historically has not been very good is awesome. Like they haven't, I'm, this could be wrong, but I don't know if they've had a solid team since Isaiah Thomas was there. I mean, even that team that that they had Markel Fultz with wasn't very good. Right. They they were okay. I I wouldn't put them as a, as a great team by, by any stretch. So yeah, I agree. So I'm, very, very impressed with everything that Mike Hopkins is willing, has done for them. Do I wish that he stayed at Syracuse? Absolutely. I think Jim Beheim's time is coming to an end. I think that it's it's clear that there needs to be a shift in, like a change in the guard, a changing in the guard. But you know, we can save that conversation for another time. That's, that sounds like we're gonna have a big coaching transition episode brewing. Yeah, that's what I'm I hearing here. I think it's necessary. Um, but I do think that. Uh, Washington will get in. Uh, other than that, from what I saw, it looked like the only other team that was a potential is, and you know we love this guy, a Bobby Hurley Arizona State team. Yeah, I mean Arizona State overall. When you just look at their overall record, you see twenty-one to nine, and you say, okay, you know that's that's reasonable. Sure. But when you dive deeper into uh, the second-rated team in the Conference of Champions, <laughs> they have multiple Quad Four losses to Princeton and Washington State. 
Um, the conference overall has dropped to seventh, and that's being generous because the MAC and yes. the West Coast Conference are breathing down their neck for that seventh spot. Um, and, you know, they have, I think, across the quad three, four, when you combine that, they have four losses in that spectrum there. So, you know, they're trying to promote those, the few quad one wins that they do have um, and try and hope that the committee doesn't look at those other quad three to four losses, right? Um, which will which will bring you down. And to me, Arizona State's one inconsistency. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know, they don't have that many great wins. Um, to me, they're, they're kind of like a St. John's team where I don't know if they really deserve to be in the tournament with where they stand right now. Right, yeah. I don't know. It'll be – it's such a fickle – thing now nowadays like the mid-majors are have been on such a come up for so long and they're finally i think getting some of the recognition that they deserve but not nearly all of the recognition they deserve 100 percent. so i do think i do think that there is a shift in the paradigm of how people are viewing mid-majors i think that because the only real recognizable mid-major for so long had been Gonzaga that teams had just gotten used to, oh, it's Gonzaga, you know, they came out of nowhere. It was like Boise State and football for a long time. I think those two are very comparable. Um, I think that it'll take a little more time and there's going to need to be a little, there's going to be, there's going to need to be more John Morant's coming through in mid-majors in order to really take the turn from them being out of the picture to them being in the conversation with the power fives. And, and just as a, you know, just, just sort of the pot a bit here, you know, St. Mary's net ranking is 37, right? And I think we can Mm -hmm. all agree St. Mary's never really goes out of their way to schedule well for themselves. For sure. Um, But they're in the West coast conference, you know, they play Gonzaga twice a year, you know, both times they lost to them obviously, but um, you take them sitting at what 37 in the net rankings Compare mm-hmm. them to where Arizona State is currently sitting, which is at 67 in the net. And if they're allegedly going by the net, I see no way that you can kick out a St. Mary's who, I'll be honest, hasn't really done a whole ton. I think they have like one quad, one win on the year to, right. to an Arizona State team. You know, there's no way you can, you can justify saying, oh, well, based off, you know, what we all are considering this year, that Arizona State deserves to be in the tournament over St. Mary's. And I, I don't really think St. Mary's really deserves to be in. But if this is your criteria, you know, come on, you can't just put in the Pac-12, the Power 5 school, just because of their name and their brand right. over another program. Because, I mean, they're sitting, if you look at Arizona State, they're sitting just above Hofstra. And, right. you know, e- even I this year would say, okay, Hofstra had a great season. Justin Wright Foreman killed it. He's one of the best offensive players in, in the country, you know, arguably. Mm-hmm. But does that mean that they should get an at-large bid? I don't know. You know, it's I certainly wouldn't consider them over St. Mary's if we're using the criteria the committee allegedly is using. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, do I think that name recognition plays a role in success of a viewing for a tournament? Maybe. But in the grand scheme of things, it's still the NCAA tournament and teams are people are still going to watch it regardless of who's in. 100%. So I think that if the committee is keeping in mind players or uh team names and teams with 
the history already there. They're kind of doing a disservice to the game, and they're not allowing for the game to evolve. I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I think I've always been a proponent for keeping a certain amount of – like, obviously, you have the mid-majors with the, uh, you know, the auto bids from winning a conference. But right. I would always – I would love to see a guaranteed selection of spots designated for mid-major programs. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of – you get so used to seeing all the big names in the, in the tournament every year that, you know, it's – when you see the Waffords, you know, when you see a Buffalo coming through who could realistically, you know, garter a, a at-large bid without winning their conference, mm-hmm. you know, I think that sort of has to be preserved because those teams are always there. You're always getting quality teams. And if you look at Belmont this year who just lost to Murray State, um, I think that team, you know, they should have the chance to play on. Sure. Now, granted, yeah, you could say, oh, well, scheduling, scheduling, scheduling. Well, one, you're never going to get a major program to play at a Belmont. You know, it's always going to have to be dictated as the Belmont coming to the, to the yeah. power school. Right. Two, you know, that, that yeah, it makes much, some money for the school. But, it, you know, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for, for a loss there early in the year. Um, and until, like, you know, like St. John's and Duke, they have a tradition where they've been playing each other midseason, Right. And they've been mm-hmm. they've been sweat, sending it back and forth the past couple seasons um, between home home and homes. Uh, if if you know big conference schools aren't willing to give the little guys the chance, you can't really penalize them for not wanting to play only road games against these big schools. You know, I get they should probably try and prove themselves, but at what point do we say it's not fair for the Belmont to always be traveling? You know, right. for, for the Belmont to only play well, big one, road games, you know? Right, and the one thing that St. John's has going for them is the location in which they play. Yeah, yeah. Teams are willing to come to MSG to play. Mm-hmm. They're not willing to go to Belmont. Exactly, you know? yeah, yeah. It's not quite the same allure as, oh, you can play an MSG. But, but you know what I'm saying, though? Until we get to the point where... You know, if you're doing a out-of-conference series, which is great, you should. You know, you should make these big schools sometimes go to these smaller schools because yeah. it's not fair for the for the mid-major to constantly be like, oh, well, you have to schedule for those road games only or neutral site only. You know, it's I, I want to see some, some of these big mid-major schools that aren't Gonzaga host some of these games. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason why a Buffalo um, shouldn't have set up shouldn't have been, you know, had that opportunity to set up a home and home with Marquette this year. You know, sure. I think that instead of just Buffalo going to Marquette on the road, it should have been a home and home because it, the the Bulls have been ranked all year. You know that, and you saw the writing on the wall with the win over Arizona last year. The team was going to stay intact; they were going to be legit. And granted, I know sometimes these games are scheduled well in advance, but at the right. same time, you know. It, it's kind of ridiculous for the con- for the uh, committee to just say, oh, well, they didn't do enough. Well, teams aren't working with these guys, so I don't know how you can really penalize them, you know? Sure. Yeah, that's fair. And that's my rant on that topic. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Um, so going forward, Alex, uh-huh. what are you looking at for the tournament? Who Who is showing you some, some signs of, of – upset potential right now who is showing signs of you know potential upset ability we'll say or vulnerability 
is probably probably the real word um, to describe some of these bigger schools. Vulnerability. I think that Tennessee has shown some of the most vulnerability recently, um, which is unfortunate, you know, because they played so well all year, and then they, for some reason, were just struggling down the stretch. Um, I think that they're going to have a hard time. I think that LSU has played – so this isn't like me ragging on the SEC, but I do think that LSU is going to have a hard time maintaining the level of success that they've showed throughout the whole tournament. Um, and then my my upset watch has always has been, since I saw them play a couple times, Washington. I think Washington is a very talented team. They're very deep. They've – they have three very talented seniors. I think four talented seniors on their roster. So they have experience. They have Matthias Diebold, who is one of the best players in the country. He's one of the most consistent players in the country and one of the uh, best two-way players in the country. He's also a high-level rebounder, and he's a very hard player. Uh, he's just a very tough player. So I think that... Washington is a team to look out for. You know, Mike Hopkins has been to the tournament a number of times over a number of years. He knows how it works. He knows what it's like. He knows how to prepare teams for it. Yes, he was never a head coach, but he was an assistant coach with a lot of responsibility. So I think that Washington's going to be a team to look out for. And then the other team, I think, and I don't know if this is really an upset, upset, but I do think that Virginia Tech, with their three-point shooting ability, is going to be a team to watch for, too. All right. Those, that, I agree with you on all those takes. I think Washington is definitely going to be one of those schools to keep an eye on. Um, and going forward, I think two teams that maybe fly under the radar just because they play in the American, UCF and VCU this year have mm. really come on strong as of late. Um, UCF with that big win over Houston. VCU is just cruising to a 25 and six record. Um, you know, they're, they're both teams to really keep an eye on. I think they're going to mm-hmm. upset a lot of people's brackets this year. Um, so, so definitely keep an eye on them. And in terms of upset ability, vulnerable teams include Marquette and Villanova. I was going to say everyone from the big East, but you know, the, the, after that it kind of falls off immensely. So I wouldn't even say that they're vulnerable. <laughs> they're just kind of weak. Um, sure, but Marquette and Villanova, man, they for me, they're they're soft. If if you're coming at a, a Villanova or a Marquette in the tournament, um, and you're you're a good defensive team, mm-hmm. you, you have a very good shot at winning that game. And I think people are going to go with the brand, you know, the the Marquette, the Villanova brand. Maybe less on the Marquette, That's true. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just based off, you know, like where they spent their time ranked this year, especially Marquette, they were hovering top 10 for a long time this season they're, they're both weak you take marcus howard out of the equation with marquette and you make the hauser brothers beat you and i'm gonna say if you can shut down marcus howard you can shut down the hauser brothers so yeah i, I would say that's probably a fair estimate so you know look look for uh those guys definitely being on the upset watch come tournament time and even big East tournament time, really anything could happen in that conference, to be honest with you. You might yeah, be seeing DePaul sure. making the tournament this year, somehow winning it all. So, you know, keep, <laughs> keep an eye out. All right. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that, uh, I think that we're going to see some, some odd stuff happening in this tournament. I do think it's going to be a weird tournament this year. 
All right, guys. Um, so that that's going to do it for the podcast today. Um, give us any feedback, you know, what you guys are thinking in terms of your brackets. Um, once tournament time comes, we'll definitely have an updated uh, podcast pre-Selection Sunday show. Um, and then, you know, we'll hopefully, if, if Alex has the time, you know, we'll see if we can maybe get a, a midweek podcast in there before all the craziness starts up with mm. our reactions, with, uh, you know, what we think might be some vulnerable spots in the tournament um, bracket and how it shakes out. Um, like I said, you know, reach out to us on Twitter at no vertical, um, subscribe, comment, rate, whatever you listen to podcasts. Um, and you know, uh, happy, happy March madness people. We're here. This is the big time. It's time. Yeah. So, uh, take care. Thanks for listening. And, uh, peace out. See you guys.